the challenge marks a really big turnaround for me. So any every all the self-help books and all the talks that I'd listened to and everything kind of culminated in that moment. And it was like the minute I pulled the plug on the liquor, everything else opened. And it really, it, it was such a big shift that you'd have, you know, kind of cognitive little bursts and pops before, uh, but releasing, it was like a valve got released and it just, it re- I can see a marked difference. That's where my life really changed. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol. And over the past five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Having a sober tribe has helped me understand that You know, there are so many people who have kicked the drinking habit out there who are part of the tribe and they share their stories. And every now and again, they remind us where they came from. And when you join the tribe, you realize that they came, they started right where you are, where you couldn't put the bottle down. And one day they did. And when they're sitting there telling you they've got 200 days, 400 days, however many days, even 40 days is quite a feat. It is so encouraging. And that's what has kept me going. So thank you to the tribe. I am so grateful to have let the drink go. So if you want to join our community and get a bit of support, just go to tribesober.com and click on Join Our Tribe. Now let's get to my guest. Today I'm interviewing Nicole Klassen, who I came across a few years ago when we launched our very first annual Sober Spring Challenge. Nicole is a communications professional who enjoys combining creativity with technology to produce extraordinary results. Nicole has done a TEDx talk about how mobile technology can be used to extend the reach of African oral media. She's also a very accomplished writer. She wrote an inspirational blog for us around her experiences of doing our 66 Day Spring Challenge. She called it 66 Days of Feelings. I'll make sure that the links to her blog and the TEDx talk are in the show notes. But for now, let's get to that conversation. So, Nicole, when did you first start thinking that maybe you were drinking a little bit too much and you wanted to make a change? I mean, how how much were you drinking? Um, I had about a period of a year after when I actually start uh, when I, I actually stopped uh, where I was considering stopping drinking. 
um, and playing with the idea. And in that year, it really became apparent to me. I thought I wasn't drinking a lot, and I thought I was a normal drinker. But I, something something was saying, no, this is not right. Um, and when I realized how much I was actually drinking, there, I was drinking about five or six days of the week out of seven um, when I actually sat down with it. Uh, most of the time I was drinking a bottle of wine by myself at night. Um, and then on weekends I would have like a, a big splurge, like a Friday would be two bottles of wine um, and then maybe whatever else is around. Um, or on a Saturday out, um, yeah, would be would be more. But um, yeah, a minimum of a bottle in, a, in, in one session um of drinking and um I I never wanted to be an everyday drinker because that was what that's what I considered a problem not realizing that five or six days a week out of seven um is is really problematic because your body's never really recovering and uh, obviously the older you get your hangovers are longer as well so you're not giving your body enough time to rebuild um each time and binging has particularly from what I've read and understood has particularly uh bad effects on serotonin levels, anxiety levels. Um, so I, I would often, on a Sunday evening to a Monday, um, I would have Sunday blues and anxiety by the time a Monday came, um, which I then, of course, tried to cure with having drinks on a Sunday. The thing with uh, binge drinking, Nicole, as I'm sure you, you know, is that um, it takes it can take up to a few weeks for our bodies to get back to normal because we tend to, we get this terrible hangover and then it goes after a day or two and we think, oh, I'm fine now. I can have another drink. Yeah. But in fact, it can take weeks, you know, for our inflammation levels and our, our livers to, to get back to normal, the worst kind. But uh, yes, you were definitely hitting it a bit hard. I would agree there. <laughs> yeah, and I was constantly Did, puffy as well. So, I mean, I am, I'm, I'm a big girl, but I was puffy and I was red. Um, and yeah, definitely inflamed. So, did you try things like dry January, or did you have breaks now and again? I tried, and I never made it through any of them. So, okay. and then that's what made made me really think mm, something is wrong here. That you can't even, you know, you can't even make it through a thirty day period. I couldn't make it through a week. So I was like, something's wrong. Um, something's got to change. And I just I started realizing how central alcohol was to my relationships, to um, everything that I was doing. And I even planned things so that it wouldn't interrupt my drinking. And that's when you know like, you're heading into very dangerous territory. Um, so I knew Friday, for example, was a big drinking night for me. And I liked drinking alone, actually. And um, I knew that a Saturday morning I would not plan anything. Um, because I wouldn't feel great on a Saturday morning. So that's your weekend exercise, your personal time, all of that got compromised. Um, but it was I was deciding that from my Friday drinking night was more important. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. I mean, that's such a, a danger sign. I think when we start losing interest in activities that don't involve alcohol yeah. and planning our time, I was exactly the same. If I was going out for a lunch, for example, I would not arrange anything in the afternoon because I knew that that yeah. would, and the evening, I would knew that that would be recovery time. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it's a, a real yeah. danger sign. Yeah. And drinking alone as well isn't great because it means that you're, rather than connecting with people, you know, you're connecting with the alcohol. You're forming a relationship yes. with, with the alcohol. Very so a few so. warning signs there that you very cleverly picked up. Yeah, I'm glad. And I think I caught it in time, if I can say that. Um, because I was heading down a very, very slippery slope. And um, I had, you know, I used to, in my 20s, go out with people and I used to socialize more. And then gradually over my 30s, I started preferring time at home, preferably drinking alone, so that it wouldn't, I, I didn't want to feel humiliated in one sense, but also I didn't really want other people's company either. It was, it really was about me and and my wine. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find about the Sober Spring Challenge? I know you suddenly appeared on it one day. <laughs> yes, it was quite sudden because I thought about it and I, I didn't think of, I didn't really consider it. Um, I knew that alcohol was a problem. I mean, I was going out, I would buy, um, what's the stuff called, serotonin, like you get the serotonin boosters. I bought them so that I could keep drinking. So I was already starting to <laughs> accommodate um for booze in my life, I was trying to cushion um, the effects of, of heavy drinking. And, um, you know, I always had a stash of Neurofen for the headaches. And I had like routines around um, what time I need to go to sleep. I need to drink water. I need to have sparkling water available in the morning and um, whatever else. Um, and I knew that something was, was not right. And especially in that year before I stopped, when I was really observing what was going on, I was like, oh, this is very, very dangerous. And um, a friend of mine mentioned that one of her friends was doing the Sober Spring Challenge. And I was like, what's that? And she told me about it. And I remember sitting at her flat the night before I had finished three bottles of pink rosé wine. So I felt like hell. Um, and she told me about the Sober Spring Challenge that Lulu was doing. I was like, okay, I need to do that. So, yes, that's why it was so sudden because I'd heard about it and I was like, just do it. If I had paused for a minute, it wouldn't have happened. If I was, you know, potentially not as hungover, it might not have happened. Um, so I'm really glad I was in that moment and was like, I'm signing up right now. Um, and I'm doing right. this. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So we're talking here about 66 alcohol-free days for a lady that couldn't really get through dry January or even a week sometimes. So how yes. did that work out for you? Um, I feel like it was, I felt like it was really needed. Like I really, a part of me really went, yes, I want to do this um, and knew that I needed it and was ready to do it. Yeah, it was really, it was kind of like a restoration of, of myself. I couldn't, there was, there were parts of me that I wasn't accessing anymore. And I really felt like this, the alcohol was in the way of me. Um, so that inner part of me was like, let's do this. Um, and we're going to make it through. The first few weeks were really interesting. <laughs> really hard. And I cried a lot. I didn't know I had so much to cry about. Um, and it was, I could watch anything on a, the, you know, the cooking show that was inspirational or beautiful and things that were truly tragic. And like everything had me in tears the first few weeks. I was just sobbing about everything. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't really a great company in that time. And I was actually okay with it. Um, I really felt like I wanted to spend time with myself as well. I didn't want to be around other people. 
um, in that time. So it was just me re- doing the repair work. It sounds like you, you're very good at observing your own kind of behavior. And uh, I don't know if you remember it, but one of the emails that the Sober Springers get, it's called to be a scientist in your own life. And uh, and you're, you're very much I, like that in, in your I think life, I be- aren't you? I think I became like that, yes. And I think it, it started, it was again that year before I had started meditating. And I think that's what's helped this whole process. So how to become that ob- observer and how it helped me play things forward. I don't know how effective I would have been if I didn't have that practice in place. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I had already built up a practice, a reasonably good practice, of being able to observe what I'm doing, play things forward, um, and still myself to a degree. But I couldn't access big the, the kind of bigger, deeper stuff because I was in the haze of booze. So that needed to go as the next obvious step yeah i think it really helps um if we can get curious about what's going on just um, you know not judge ourselves too harshly but just be curious and yeah. uh, it sounds as if you you really did that i think we get we get so trained to take on fixed beliefs about things that we're actually not trained to be curious like you're suggesting like instead of just we, we're just like, okay, accept this belief and go. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think everything in our world shows us to, today that um, we need to have, be a little bit curious about everything that's presented to us and not take everything at face value. Especially uh, what the advertisers are saying about alcohol. <laughs> that's exactly. where many of our fixed beliefs <laughs> come from. Yep. Amazingly, I'm sure you've discovered it too, but one can have fun without drinking wine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I, people are always surprised. Like, what the, you know, and they always ask, like, what do you do for fun? <laughs> like, well, I have a lot of fun, and now I'm also I'm present to it. I'm not scared. I'm going to fall over something. I'm not scared. I'm going to embarrass myself. I can really be free. I love music and I love creativity and the theater and stuff like that. So for me to go to a music festival now, man, I'm just like I'm like I'm literally high on the music. Like I love it. I can feel every beat. Uh, it's a really awesome experience, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I do get tired around midnight, um, you know, and my body wants to go to sleep, and I'm fine with it. I love day parties. Yeah, let's talk about your blog. I mean, you you wrote this stunning blog for us, uh, which now sits on my website, gets lots of hits, and uh, every time we we do sober spring, I, I share it with the sober springers. You saw some of the reaction last night. And it's just beautiful. Not only is it a stunning piece of writing, but I think there's so much to learn from it. So I just wanted to quote um, a sentence from it, two sentences, and then uh, maybe you'd like to elaborate. I feel like this challenge has been an instrumental reboot for me to access my life. I've learned how important it is to feel and that all my feelings are good for me. So I love that and I agree totally. But uh, talk to us about it. The challenge marks a really big turnaround for me. So any, every, all the self-help books and all the talks that I'd listened to and everything kind of culminated in that moment. And it was like the minute I pulled the plug on the liquor, everything else opened. And it really, it, it was such a big shift that you'd have, you know, kind of cognitive little bursts and pops before, um, but releasing it was like a valve got released and it just it i can see a marked difference that's where my life really changed 
I remember go, uh, going, you know, like, where, like, what are all these feelings and why am I, you know, what, what's actually happening here and what am I experiencing? And I realized like there's this culmination of everything that I'd been reading and working on. Um, and it was like, it's no, it wasn't theoretical anymore. It was like, okay, now you're going to do the things that you're reading. You're not going to just talk about uh, behavior change. You're going to experience it um, and actually do the work. Um, and to do the work requires feeling, requires emotion, requires looking at the spaces and things that we that we don't want to and that we're, and that we're avoiding. I'm a, a kind of a flight, a freeze and flight person. So my tendency is to go to the cognitive cerebral out of body um, experience. You know, I can hang around a spiritual conversation as, in the same way that I can hang around an intellectual conversation because it doesn't require emotion, um, which is very convenient um, when you're drinking. But when you stop, you can't get out of your body that much. And um, it was one of the things that I really had to learn was how to, uh, it's not comfortable, it's get experienced at living in my feelings. Um, and what I've learned about that is a, so your, your, your behavior um, is triggered by a feeling, by an emotion. And the big thing that I wanted to know about alcohol is what is causing me to drink so much? Like, what is it that's making me drink or that I want to drink? Um, and um, it, there's a process in, I think it's cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's the behavior is caused by a feeling and the feeling is triggered by a story that you've got about yourself those stories are stories that you either created in response to things that happened to you in your life um, but most of them are actually stories that are inherited so they're stories that we get from our mothers our fathers our culture our society um, and they're absorbed into our psyche and they're really gnarly to get to um, and to find out what they are and what the what those drivers are, the ones that are big traumatic events, you can spot quite easily. They're easier to locate. I found um, not that they're easier to resolve, but they're easier to locate. The really gnarly ones are stuff that are the subliminal messages that we get all the time. Um, it's in the repetitive daily experience of growing up um, and the things that happen every day. Um, that form our patterns, those are the ones that I got really interested in. And I realized those are the really, really gnarly ones. Um, and things like having unmet needs um, from childhood can really play out in very um, interesting, unexpected ways <laughs> as you get older. And um, addiction is a symptom that you've got some unmet needs. Yeah, we're just trying to numb it all, aren't we? And yeah. just push push it away. And many people, I mean, I did too, had the experience of, uh, I'm not sure I ever cried at a cooking show, but. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what, Janet? I think I'm, I think I'm hitting home. So I do think I'm hitting home, and um, if that blog again, and the whole the whole spring challenge was actually it sparked of such a life change. So one of the things that I, I, I am by nature is a communicator. And what alcohol or any other form of suppression was doing was holding back um, and uh, helping me shrink out of 
my voice. Um, and with that, and that blog was so important for me to get something out because I hadn't written a piece that was longer than a tweet for the longest time. And I couldn't remember when I used to be a really easy long form writer. Um, and I hadn't been, while I was boozing, like I, I didn't read anymore and I didn't definitely didn't write. Um, so it was very important for me on an, there was an, on an instinctual level was like, you need to write this blog, um, whatever it looks like, something needs to come out. Um, so yes, I, I do feel like I'm finding it and I, I am supposed to be in communications, uh, which I am in, and I'm supposed to use media and technology to drive some kind of message. Um, I'm, the, the message is becoming a little bit clearer, but that's the part I'm not sure, 100% sure yet. But it is a, definitely a, a way of using words and pictures to help people and make the world a better place. I used to be this person that really cared about what was going on. And somewhere along the way, I'd started numbing that out. I'd become quite cynical, a bitter, a bit resentful, um, and quite negative about the world and that I had any part to play in it. And um, I've, and since then, it's like I, I feel everything again. I'm like, okay, gosh, I can use what I've got to make a difference and I, I can do something. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. It's wonderful to see you happy and fulfilled and obviously en route for, for great things. Any other benefits of sobriety you'd like to talk about for anyone that might be considering this this journey but finding it all a bit too scary? Sure. And, yeah, I can, I can understand why people do find it scary. And, yes, it does change a lot. And that's, I think, the, you know, when people hear change, we think scared. But changes happen so incrementally um, I found that it doesn't actually overwhelm you entirely. Okay, the beginning part where your body is just trying to sort itself out, that's a bit overwhelming. But once you're through the physical parts, the rest of the changes are uh, changes that you're making by choice, um, whether it's around your food, whether it's around exercise, people that you want to socialize with. Um, those are all incremental little changes that make big differences. So I have lost... Um, all my puffiness, which is great. Um, and then I lost, I've lost 10 kilograms, which is amazing. I could never lose a thing when I was drinking. Um, and I'm, I'm consistent. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I'm, like, I'm consistent with my food. I'm consistent with my exercise. I want to be healthy because I like myself. <laughs> so that's really great. <laughs> Um, I've shifted my relationship with my body, which is one of the things that I was trying to drink from. Um, I was trying to drink away some old sexual trauma, some body trauma and stuff from my childhood. Um, and I didn't want to look at that. And I've reformed that relationship with my body entirely, which is such a big deal for women, um, to have a relationship with our bodies and not punish them. And, you know, that they're not these things that are outside of ourselves. So that, these have been amazing, but these are changes that have been happening over two years, and they happen little by little. Uh, so they needn't overwhelm. My life is more wholesome, more fulfilling. I, can, I, also, I trust myself to finish stuff. I mean, I'm studying again at, you know, at 41, which I didn't know I could do. 
Um, and in fact, I had tried to do when I was drinking and I just couldn't do it, <laughs> you know, because my after hours and my weekends were for drinking um, or getting over my drinking. Uh, so I just couldn't actually finish stuff. And now it's really great. Like I know if I'm, go- if I'm doing something, I'm go- if I say yes to something, I- I'm-, I'm going to do it. Um, and that's awesome because I can now plan a different life for myself. I can, I can yeah, actually yeah. make goals, which I wasn't doing anymore because I didn't trust myself. So, yeah, I'm, the consistency has been, it's been a big deal for me. So you, you touched a bit on uh, women there and how we punish our bodies, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, I, I sometimes look back to my 20s and uh, my 20s, I lived on cigarettes and white wine because I wanted to be very thin. <laughs> I, I can also, I can reconcile my 20s in my head um, and the craziness that goes with that. But I, I do struggle a little bit with the 30s. Like I feel like I should have grown out of stuff by then. <laughs> my 20s, like... God, that's okay. Dancing on the tables. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all right. But uh, again, talking about ladies dancing on the tables, I noticed, uh, I was looking at my Facebook this morning and I noticed that you liked that uh, article that I shared, which I think was from the London Guardian, wasn't it? The English English Guardian. And the title was The Feminization of Alcohol. And it had a, a row of nice pink bottles, didn't it? You're a lady that used to like the pink rose. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So as a lady that knows all about marketing and that kind of industry, I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? about the way that we, we have been targeted more and more ruthlessly. Yeah, so I think people don't realize just how deliberate it is. You know, from a professional, from my personal and professional experience, you would think that I would put two and two together um, since that I, you know, I did a lot of campaigns for alcohol brands um, that I would be able to be able to distinguish what was happening, but actually I didn't. Um, it's really interesting our cognitive dissonance, um, and um, I, 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 I know firsthand um, how we perceive how we chose audiences that the liquor companies are specifically targeting women um, and specifically targeting younger drinkers. Um, so age group eighteen to twenty five. But what they mean is younger, so that they can stay with them for longer is the theory. Um, if you can get people starting to start, you know, to start drinking earlier, um, the longer they will drink for. Um, you know, in in planning these uh, in planning these campaigns, there is a kind of deliberate, and what we do is in communications is that we we influence behavior with words and images. We embed stories into culture um, so that we change attitudes, beliefs, and norms. That's how you build a culture. And we have, I mean, I'll speak just from a South African context, we really have created a culture of big drinking. Um, and we did that by shift, we shift beliefs um, and we shift attitudes. Um, and I was, I mean, even on the weekend, I, uh, last weekend, I saw an advert for, I probably shouldn't mention one of the milk stouts, um, but using really deep cultural metaphors um, of African spiritual tradition culture. And I was actually horrified. I was like, wow, that, that's deep. That is literally like embedding alcohol into people's spirituality and religion it, it, and into faith. Um, it's like that, that it just it shows the extent to which our alcohol industry is not regulated in terms of marketing. Um, and there, there are just not enough controls in place. And maybe a too friendly relationship between the alcohol industry and our and our government, and so that they can't regulate the space. Yeah, in, in, you know, 
we, we think we're in control and um, we like to think that we're very cognitive beings. We like to think that we're logical, rational adults, but actually we're not. Human beings are just not. We're emotional beings uh, more than anything else. And we're not that conscious. Um, and that I mean, that's why we teach courses like critical thinking, logic and reason. We have to teach it and learn it all the time because we're emotive beings and we respond on what we're seeing around us and what we feel about ourselves. And this, again, it's the stories. What stories are we telling ourselves and each other? So, you know, hashtags and things like uh, what are, uh, in South Africa, we have Puza Thursday. Uh, we say wine o'clock. Is it not wine o'clock yet? Um, and liquor brands play into this. And we, we we find the nuances, and one of the big nuances that we saw from the 90s through to now is kind of the young, single, up-and-coming um, woman in control of her life, boss lady, and alcohol aligning to this type of personality. So it's the, the TV character Olivia Pope, you know, who drinks her complex red wine. Um, and the girls celebrating with Bubbly because they can. And um, it's really, it, we're targeted, it's driven, and it's specific drinks are made for women um, and then seeded and, and pumped into, into culture through changing values, attitudes, and, and beliefs. We feel to some degree um, that we are entitled to drink now when we, because we've earned it. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Now, I noticed uh, a brand the other day, uh, whiskey, you know, this Johnny Walker. Did you know there's now a Jane Walker? You know, they've, no. they've produced oh, something with a, it's got a beautiful lady on the box, uh, horse riding, you know, doing her dressage and then this bottle of scotch called Jane Walker. Wow. <laughs> blatant yeah but I'm wondering you know is there any hope what, what you said about cognitive dissonance so interesting because we've got a sober springer I'm sure he won't mind me saying this I won't say his name and uh, he he's been looking for a job he's from media background and he was offered a job by a, a well-known brewery I guess I better not say yeah. their name either but SAB <laughs> I'll cut myself out maybe for saying that and they offered him a job you know designing liquor uh, things and and he has got quite an issue with alcohol, but he's doing really well and he's you know staying on track, alcohol free now. And he's much as he really needed this job and thought you know it might be interesting, he turned it down. You yeah. know just because of the the um, his his beliefs and his values just weren't in line with it. But what I suggested to him uh, was that why doesn't he try and make a pitch for the alcohol free market? Because yes. that market is exploding. There are yes. so many drinks available now. And even uh, back to our friends at SAB, apparently uh, they now have a director of alcohol-free beverages. And he's been told that in five years' time, uh, he'll be responsible for 25% of their turnover. So I think it's really well, encouraging that that even the liquor industry is recognizing, you know, that there is a shift away from it for some people, obviously not everybody, and they've got to accommodate us. You know, we're not prepared to drink Coke or water anymore. So um, I thought that was that was quite hopeful. And now our job, well, <laughs> people's job is to to shift those beliefs, you know, that you were yeah. talking about, the influence. And, and it's so powerful, isn't it? On Instagram, you now see celebrities, you know, endorsing alcohol brands all the time and that's that's so powerful for young people isn't it it really is 
It really is. When we see role models or people that we admire um, or lifestyles that we admire because the association is really around lifestyle um, and aspirational lifestyle, there's often alcohol included. So we kind of we have to create a culture where that where it's aspirational to be sober, um, and that's quite hard because it's really underfunded at the moment. <laughs> so um, to get back to um, the the guy who was offered this this job um, that you were talking about earlier, I, so I really struggled with it, and I've had to I, I you know I have my own agency, and I had to um, I had to really rethink what I'm doing with the business. Um, and I've now I'm transitioning the business to be able to do behavior change and social change communication for good, um, because I can't I I, I, literally, I can't reconcile anymore. I, I, yeah, I can't. It's not my those are not my beliefs, and I've seen the other side of it. So I made the link <laughs> in my cognitive dissonance, yeah. and I can no longer be part of it. Um, so yes, I mean, creating a culture for sobriety, I think, is really important. Because um, it, when you think about it, Nicole, it should be an easier sell <laughs> because <yeah. laughs> alcohol-free drink will be, you know, maybe not good for you, but it's not going to destroy you. It's not poison. So yeah. it should go with the jogging and the high-powered job and whatever else you know, you need to do. Whereas, you know, linking it to uh, women's, you know, woman power and aspirational lifestyle and career success it, it's madness because it actually destroys all that if you Absolutely. go too far with it yes. and it is an addictive substance 20 percent of regular drinkers will become dependent as they get older so well i'm relying on you nicole to get a life campaign going in your your new age yes. i think so and you know what janet i think there's such a you know i was a functioning like there's a functioning drinker most of us are functioning drinkers we have We've, we have jobs, we have working, we contribute to society. Um, but you know what I realized when I stopped drinking was that my decision-making has vastly improved. Um, I don't run my finances from a point of anxiety anymore because I know exactly what's going on. Um, and um, I don't make decisions out of fear um, or because I'm hung over and I'm, you know, snap at someone. Um, so it, these are tiny, tiny shifts, but I actually, I work so much better. I get so much more done in a shorter space of time. I, I mean, my productivity is just soared um, such that I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm working on this book and my personal time and I'm studying and I'm like, how am I doing all this? And it's simply because your, your synapse, that, that synapse connection happens so much quicker because you're not all inflamed, um, you know, and, and groggy from the alcohol. So you just think so much better. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. So there you heard me talking to the amazing Nicole Klassen. There's so many gems in that conversation. I'm going to try and pick some out for you. Now, Nicole knew she was on a slippery slope when she realised that she actually preferred to drink alone rather than being with other people. So although her drinking started as a social thing, as she got older, she just wanted to focus on her wine rather than the other people.
She told us how emotional she felt in her early days of sobriety. She spent lots of time crying. Even cooking shows on TV would make her cry. Now, when we've been numbing ourselves for years with booze, I think we have to be prepared for this and get journaling. That's what Nicole did to process her emotions and it led to her 66 Days of Feelings blog. That blog was actually the longest thing that she'd written for ages and she felt that she was finding her voice again. She became a really good observer of her own behaviour and she said that her meditation practice really helped her with that. Although Nicole found the physical detox part at the beginning of her sobriety quite tough, gradually the benefits clicked in and she just loved the way that she lost her puffiness and then went on to lose 10 kgs. The challenge marked such a big turnaround for Nicole, a really big shift, as she realised that all of her feelings, whether they were good or bad, they were necessary. She also realised that behaviour is triggered by a feeling, which in turn is triggered by a story from your past. Since she stopped drinking, Nicole has become much more consistent. She's more productive in her work and she's busy developing a much better relationship with her body. We talked about the feminization of alcohol and the way brands target women. Nicole has a marketing background and she's seen how this works from the inside. The trick for us is to see through these campaigns, see through the BS, and then we are free from their influence. I'll put a link to Nicole's blog, 66 Days to Sobriety, and also her TEDx talk in the show notes. Here in South Africa, we start our annual Sober Spring Challenge on the 1st of September, but of course many of our listeners are entering spring as we record this at the beginning of April. So if you'd like to try our Sober Spring Challenge, just go to tribesober.com, click on Challenges, and you'll see the 66-Day Challenge. The cost of the 66-Day Challenge is £17 or $23 or 350 rand, and for that you receive a daily email full of tips, tools and inspiration for 66 days. You also receive 66 mini-podcasts, one for each day of the challenge, and of course, there'll be ongoing community support. And at the end of your challenge, we even send you our ebook, which is a compilation of all the 66 emails, which you can save and reread as a reference document. So remember, alcohol is cunning. It creeps up on you over the years. And the best way to discover whether you're becoming dependent or not is to do a challenge. Take a break, do a challenge. Sign up for our 66-day challenge right now. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.